Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to Enter the Novelcast. The Visitors Quarantine Chapter 3 The moon was on the rise, the trees shifting in the long grass swaying when Gordon flicked on his flashlight. The wall and the lights of Wellington were almost completely out of sight behind him, barely visible between the pockets of pine trees and the few small hills on this side of the perimeter. The clouds moved swiftly above him, passing before the bright white orb that did well to light the earth before him. But when traversing inside the wall, Gordon knew that not taking the proper care would only get him injured or even killed. The very environment itself was reacting to the visitors, and though they were more than a day's walk away in the deepest parts of the urban city, the feel of their presence and their influence on the world had only been expanding in the last three years, and Gordon was certain it still was. In another eighteen months, the tame region around the wall would be as bad as the edges of the city, and the perimeter would have to be pushed back again. He knew the way to Kendall well, and he made good time beneath a blanket of stars, his path illuminated by a moving circle of white light as he waved his flashlight across the ground, staying vigilant and aware. Within a half hour, he was in what he recognized as the edges of the small town of Kendall, as the looming, dark mammoths of houses lined along a quiet, empty street came into view. He was moving through what used to be their backyards, keeping his flashlight obscured and his eyes scanning the black windows, ensuring that these empty husks were were still just vacant relics of a broken community, and not the quiet lairs of waiting bandits, or worse. While they were rare, there were people who took advantage of the foot traffic that runners brought to the otherwise uninhabited region inside the wall. Oftentimes criminals to the rest of society, they came to the quarantine zone looking for one thing, the freedom to live their lives the way they saw fit. Some collected in small groups, generally between two and six, the largest Gordon had ever heard of was a mob of nearly 18 individuals who had claimed the entire town square in the town of Mavis. Of course, runners knew to avoid Mavis at all costs, but with a group that large they could afford to send, send out three or four at a time in different directions, robbing and killing runners or even researchers within 50 miles and return with supplies for a short while. Some rumors even floated around that the group had ransacked a full military patrol, which, which would only increase their lethality exponentially. How exactly they continued to gather food and water, though, Gordon didn't know, but it was no matter to him, as he avoided Mavis and the surrounding countryside like most people avoided the wall itself. When he felt confident that there was nobody else in the vicinity, he moved through the yards, going around fences and trees, keeping the houses between him and the open street. He knew that this had to be Crescent Street, and in about 70 yards it would curve to the right, where he would take a right right-hand turn onto a side street, Forest View Drive. Sure enough, the road confirmed his thoughts, and he continued on until he stood between two houses, looking across Crescent and straight down Forest View. The night was quiet save for a slight breeze. Somewhere he heard the creaking of a, lo of a loose shutter. He sat still, squatting down and keeping in the shadows of what used to be a property line, the dark, gaping windows reaching above him on either side, shards of broken glass glinting like waiting teeth, ready to cut into Gordon's flesh if he decided to enter in through these forbidden portals. He remained motionless, kept his breathing steady, 
and ignored the pain in his knees and back as he stared, wide-eyed and alert, down Forest View Drive. No activity. He didn't necessarily expect any, but the minute you let your guard down inside the perimeter was the minute it came back to bite you. And this was not a place you wanted to get bitten. Shrish. He slowly rose, but stopped where he was, half-crouched. His eyes dropped from the starlit road ahead to the ground as he focused instead on his ears. He had heard something, something sharp and quick, but not loud or necessarily sudden. It sounded like motion through fallen leaves, a sound easy to lose in a windy night such as this. He slowly turned and backed against the wall of one house, the black, toothed rectangle a few inches above his head. He turned to look back the way he had come, into the backyards of these two houses. He saw only waving grass, blowing leaves, and the dark trees beyond. He squinted, looking hard at the black columns of, of the line of trees marking the rear of the yard. The night was bright enough, with the full moon above, that after a few moments of watching the trees, his eyes adjusted to where he could see the vertical lines of the trees themselves, the dark lines of bark beneath the shadow of their branches above. He slowly lifted his gaze into the treetops, seeing that, while most of them retained their leaves, the ones that were now bare with the coming winter stretched their rigid, crooked fingers into the night sky. The leaves shifted and waved in the wind. The trunks were silent, still, and black. His ears picked up no other sound. Gordon began to wonder if he had only heard himself. Maybe his weight had shifted so subtly that he wasn't aware of it, but it produced a sound louder than one would have expected. Perhaps the wind blew something off of a nearby porch that had landed on the leaves. Perhaps he was just hearing things. Or perhaps he wasn't. His mind reeled as he continued to stare at the trees, expecting to see, at any second, someone step out from behind one. A black, silent silhouette of a man with a gun, a bandit, or a competitive runner, ready to drop him where he stood. He half expected to hear a gunshot and see muzzle flash for a brief instant from the dark canopy of leaves before dropping, shot, to the ground below. He expected to feel the press of a knife against the small of his back, feeling a pain for only a second before the blade cut through his throat, sweatshirt, and flesh. Rupturing his spine, piercing a lung, to leave him drowning in his own blood while someone fished through his pockets and bag. He expected to be left here, to die, inside the wall where nobody would ever hear him make a sound except for his desperate, merciless assailant. But none of that happened. The night remained still, silent, and empty. He turned and looked down Forest View again, and resolved to finish the job quickly so he could get home once more. Gordon approached 372 Forest View Drive from the rear, finding two entrances that had been used at least once before. The rear porch had a sliding glass door leading into the house, and the glass looked to be shattered, much as most windows were in houses of Kendall or similar towns near the perimeter. He also saw that the back door of the garage was left ajar. He frowned as he sat, crouched beside the trees behind the house, and he considered the two entrances. He decided that, if there was anybody inside, they would likely be in the house itself, and so he figured he should start with the garage. He reached behind his back and pulled out his gun. Ejecting the clip, he ensured that the three bullets he had loaded before were still there, and then he replaced the clip with a click and stood, making for the garage door. He sucked in his gut and sidestepped in, moving carefully to avoid brushing against the door and causing it to creak. 
The garage was dark, and it reeked of wildlife. His flashlight had been off for some time, yet he knew he needed it now so as to ensure the path to the house door was clear. He pulled it out of his pocket with his left hand and flicked it on, keeping its light low. The garage was a mess. Leaves had blown in and littered the entire floor, gathering in piles here and there. He saw scattered bones of small rodents, likely mice, and then he saw the old, dried fecal matter of some other, larger animal. Upon inspection, it looked to be old, and he doubted whatever left it was still in the area. Everything else about the garage, from gas cans to storage bins to yard equipment, was in disarray, obviously having been ransacked and looted before. He found the door to the house and pocketed his flashlight again, the bright white light shining through his jeans and offering just enough to see by, but not enough to get noticed from a distance. He gripped the doorknob with his left hand, squeezing it tightly, holding his gun ready. Slowly, he turned the doorknob until he heard the latch click out of the door frame, and then slowly pushed it open. Beyond was a small hallway with a closet, opening onto a kitchen to the right. An empty coat hook was on the wall to the left, sticking out just behind the, do the door to the garage. The kitchen was just as much of a mess as the garage was, and the broken and discarded plates, cups, and utensils were scattered about, the cupboard doors hanging open. He moved carefully through them, unable to help but make some noise as his boots lifted and set back down amongst the ceramic, porcelain, and stainless steel that was scattered about the floor. He made a mental reaffirmation of what he was here to collect. A Toshiba laptop computer, a red-covered photo album, and an envelope with cash in it that was hidden beneath the downstairs mattress. He expected the photo album to still be here, but it would be a miracle if he could find the laptop. The cash was hit or miss. He moved out of the kitchen and into the living room, with large windows on both sides, looking out onto the front yard and also over the back patio. Most of these were broken, and Gordon couldn't help but feel suddenly exposed. While the night looked empty outside of the small house, he still couldn't shake the feeling that he had when he had heard the sound just a short while before. He had the feeling that there was someone else moving through this town, and he didn't want to be caught unawares. He made his way quickly to the short hall across the living room, slowly and carefully checking the two bedrooms and bathroom that were there. His gun led the way into each room, but each room turned out to be empty of anything notable. No bandits or runners, which was a good sign, but also no sign of the items he was looking for. Moving more quickly now, not out of growing comfortability, but out of a growing desire to be done with the job, he decided to head into the basement before checking the upstairs, since he knew specifically about the envelope down below. He opened the door around around the corner of the kitchen, heading down the creaking wooden steps into the cold, dark basement. He was forced to turn on his flashlight again, as any chance of sneaking into the area was gone the moment his boots came to rest on the old stairs. The basement was one large washroom with two small rooms sectioned off of it. One was a bathroom, the other was an unfinished bedroom with a bare mattress and a bed frame, open, an open closet, and egress window. He moved immediately over to the bed, lifting the regular mattress off of the box spring. He breathed a sigh of relief when he saw the small brown envelope there, and when he opened it and peered inside, he was greeted by numerous green presidents, crisp and new as if just taken out of the bank. He stuffed the envelope in his messenger bag and turned to leave the room when a thought struck him. He swiveled back around, the circle of his flashlight sweeping across the bare brown walls to rest back on the bed, and then shift down to the bed frame and floor. Wincing in slight pain as he got down to one knee, he placed his flashlight hand on the floor to steady himself, ready to check beneath the bed to see if either of his other quarries were hidden beneath. That was when he heard the sound of a door closing upstairs.
The silence hung in the house like death. The sudden finality of the door closing repeating endlessly in Gordon's head, his heart racing as he considered the implications. There was someone else in the house. Whether or not he had been followed, someone else was here. Now. His mind moved quickly. It didn't sound like the basement door, so at least he wasn't trapped. It was up on the second floor of the house. It wasn't up on the second floor of the house, either, so the person was on the entry level. When he considered the weight of the sound and its general placement above him, he figured it had to be the door to the garage. He tightened his grip on the handgun, standing up from his half-kneeling position. He clicked the flashlight off as he slowly and quietly moved into the open room of the basement, his feet steadily peeling off of the floor and setting back down as he made his way towards the bottom of the steps. A small sliver of dim blue light filtered in from the half-open door at the top, ambient starlight that found its way through the windows into the rest and to rest lightly on the basement wall. He stood in the corner, back to the cement wall, gun raised at the doorway above, eyes wide and breathing tense. He felt his heart in his throat as he looked up the stairs to the open door above. Standing there, outlined by the gray ceiling of the kitchen above, he saw the silhouette of a man. Gordon blinked. The man was there, but he could tell that he was facing away from the basement door, into the kitchen. Gordon didn't think. Not one to outright murder someone he didn't have to, he quickly stepped to the side, out of the light from the door, and watched the man from darkness. He seemed tall, though how tall he really was, Gordon couldn't say. He moved slowly, quietly, picking through random things on the countertops. Occasionally, he would hold something up to his face as if examining it, and then set it back down. After a few moments, he stepped out of view from the door, further into the house. Gordon held the gun tightly, considering his options. He knew the stairs were creaky, and he wouldn't be able to sneak his way up behind the man. He could sit down here and wait, hoping this mystery man wouldn't find his way into the basement, and instead left altogether. Gordon took a deep breath, listening to the footsteps creaking their way across the ceiling above him as the man moved into the living room. He then decided to do the only thing he could do. He still had the element of surprise, so he may as well use it. Taking the steps two at a time, he bolted upstairs, pushed the door open with his shoulder so forcefully that it slammed into the wall, and wheeled around the interior corner of the house, gun aimed into the living room. Hold! he yelled into the dark living room, lit with the ambient blue light of the night sky. The other person spun to face Gordon, but didn't move his dark silhouette standing still, breathing rapidly. Gordon squinted, and then lifted his flashlight and clicked it on again to reveal the man as a middle-aged, balding man in a button-up shirt and jeans, with a white name badge hanging from his breast pocket, glinting in the light. Gordon blinked a few times, shocked at what he was seeing. Dr. Copeland? he asked. Yes, Alan Copeland answered, his voice remarkably calm. Gordon began to lower his gun, keeping the light on Alan. I'm sorry, I thought you were... A bandit? Alan asked. Gordon blinked again. Yeah. Didn't mean to frighten you. Gordon replaced his gun behind his back, tucked into his pants. What were you doing out here? Alan blinked a few times and then looked around him as if unsure how to answer the question. Gordon shook his head and lifted his empty right hand defensively. Don't worry about it, he said. Don't answer. Alan turned, looking back at Gordon. Good. Gordon knew that he had no ground to question Alan from. Gordon was breaking enough laws as it was, being out here on his own as well. He knew the researchers from the facilities came out to conduct their work, testing the environment, collecting data and all the research stuff. But that was during the day. 
and always in groups, often with a military escort. Rarely did they venture in alone, and never at night. Alan was up to something, it seemed. But, then again, so was Gordon. Do you know how to leave here? Dr. Copeland asked. Gordon stared blankly at the man. Uh, yeah. Can you help me? Gordon was shocked. Alan found his way into the quarantine zone, but didn't know how to get out? What was this guy's plan? What exactly was he doing? Only if you don't say anything about seeing me here, Gordon said. Oh, I won't. Gordon blinked. Alan Copeland worked at the Cedar Grove facility, along the northern edge of the wall. Not only was it strange for him to be here, alone, at night, but he was also a long ways from that facility. Did you come from the Wellington facility? Gordon asked. Yes, Alan said flatly. Okay, Gordon said. I have a few things to look for still. Stay by me and we'll be heading out soon. It didn't take them long to find the photo album, but Gordon didn't see the laptop in any of the upstairs bedrooms, and after the shock that Dr. Copeland had given him, he didn't feel like being in that house any longer. Instead, they left the room... Instead, they left soon after, and together they quietly made their way out of Kendall, through the fields and to the wall where Gordon, and presumably where Alan, had crossed through earlier. They made their way along the inside of the wall, heading north, until they were well outside of the Wellington city limits. Gordon took out the rope he had grabbed from his car earlier, and then moved to a spot between two small scraggly trees, a short distance away from the wall. Moving aside some brush and digging through the dirt, he produced a twisted piece of metal from a well-hidden spot. He looped the rope around and threw one open end of it, letting the other hook, letting the other hooked end hang, and then approached the wall again. After a few failed attempts, he was finally able to throw the metal piece over the edge of the wall and get it to hook into place. He tugged a few times, testing the weight, and then looked to Dr. Copeland. Alan had been standing, stone still, in the same spot the entire time, just silently watching Gordon. You okay, Doc? Gordon asked. Yes. Alan responded. Gordon stepped back, motioned towards the rope. You go first. Alan walked forward, grabbed the rope, and gripping it tightly. Hanging on, he climbed his way to the top, where he squatted on the concrete wall, holding the rope still while Gordon followed. Then they dropped the rope down the other side, hooking the metal over the opposite edge and found their way down, into the woods just north of Wellington. Gordon rolled up the rope and found a new hiding spot for the metal piece, and then turned to look at Dr. Copeland. Is this good? he asked. Alan turned and looked at the wall, and then at Gordon. Yes, this is good. You can find your way from here? Yes. Okay. Without another word, Gordon slung his bag over his shoulder and made off into the woods. He knew a specific spot along the fence around Wellington where he could get under it. He'd get dirty, but he'd be back inside and to his vehicle in a matter of minutes. He wasn't sure where Dr. Copeland would be heading but he knew he wanted to be away from the man and back to the reassurance of solitude once more. As Gordon was making his way through the woods, he turned and looked over his shoulder, expecting to see Alan walking along the north wall. Or maybe even south. Instead, the doctor was still standing in the spot where Gordon had left him, and was still facing him as he stalked through the woods. Dr. Alan Copeland made no motion to leave, or even to follow, but just stood there, watching Gordon leave, in the darkness of the quarantine wall his body a black silhouette against the lifeless gray concrete beneath a starry night sky.
Thank you for listening. You can catch new episodes of The Visitors and Enter the Novelcast every Monday morning at 7 a.m. Central Standard Time. To find more information on Enter the Novelcast, visit nicholascorey.com. To learn more about other creative projects from myself, please visit nicholascorey.com. And to reach out to me directly, feel free to send an email with your feedback to nicholascorey at gmail.com.